Good evening, everyone. As we turn our attention to God's word this evening, we seek to receive it with joy-filled reverence and sober humility. The summons to the word found in your bulletin prepares our hearts and minds to do just that. Let's read it together. This is the one who, whom I look upon with favor, declares the Lord, the one who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. Thank you. Thank you, Pam, very much. Let's see, this evening's, um, thank you, Ron. This evening's uh, reading of the sacred scripture comes from Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19, against Luke chapter 17 uh, through 19. I wanted to just take a few minutes here as a, um, as a meditation to look at these verses in a way that I think will help give us a picture of... Um, how distinct the Christian view of um, how distinct the Christian view of Thanksgiving is. So tonight, I want to look. I want to compare different ways that we might think about Thanksgiving, and I want to use this passage before us, Luke chapter seventeen, beginning in verse eleven. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria. And Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, would you bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, kids, listen to these words and see if you can finish this sentence or really finish this verse. Are you ready? When the dog bites, when the bee stings, when I'm feeling sad, I simply remember class, my favorite things, and then I don't feel so bad, right? What are some of the favorite things? Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things, right? This song presents us uh, with one way of being thankful, comparing we compare. We look at the bad things. Something bad happens. And we think, what are, what are the good things? What are my favorite things? It's a way of weighing the good and the bad. We, if you, we, we count our blessings. Right? There, there are the bad things when the dog bites, when the bee stings. And our bad things are compared 
to our favorite things. That's one way of being grateful. Of com- it's called just simply comparing. But of course, this is 2020, right? What if the bad things are worse? In fact, what if the bad things are far worse than dog bites? And, and, and in some ways, you know that that song, what, what song is that? What movie does that song come from? Famous play, The Sound of Music, right? Do you recall the historical setting of The Sound of Music? 1938, Austria. Now, how far are whiskers on kittens going to go against the Third Reich? Right? So what if, what, if, what if the bad things are actually worse? What if they outweigh the good things? Is there going to be Thanksgiving? That's one way of thinking about Thanksgiving. You're, we're doing this cost-benefit analysis, look, adding, up the, the negative, or look, adding up what's good, adding up what's bad, and comparing and hoping that, yeah, we're going to be grateful because we, can, we just have so, many, so much better things than we do bad things. Or parents, now listen, I'm going to think of a, death, a different way of, of doing Thanksgiving. Parents, listen to these words, and this might be a, some of a challenge, so you may not get this, but listen to these words and see if you can identify the singer or songwriter. All right, listen to this. I'll give you hints from the mid-late 90s. Thank you, India. Thank you, terror. Thank you, disillusionment. Thank you, frailty. Thank you, consequence. Thank you, silence. Anyone? I heard someone say it. Alanis Morissette? Yeah, Alanis Morissette. How about me not blaming you for everything? This is the great lyrics. How about me enjoying the moment for once? How about how good it feels to finally forgive you? How about grieving it all? How, how about grieving it all one at a time? And again, the, ref, the, the, the refrain of the chorus is Thank you, India. Thank you, providence. Thank you, disillusionment. Thank you, nothingness. Thank you, clarity. Thank you, thank you, silence. The song by Lonis Morissette represents another way of being thankful. Here, the way to be thankful isn't by comparing the good and the bad. You have all these bad things happening. It's 2020, so we're going to compare and find good things. It's about actually not comparing. It's about escaping. When bad things happen, learn how to escape from the pain. Thank you, nothingness. See, after a launch, if you remember this, in the mid-90s, Alanis Morissette, she became famous around 95, 96, and then just over, like, you know, pretty typically, you know, you're overwhelmed by fame and all the pressures of it, et cetera. She, she, uh, she took a long vacation or hiatus, about a year, year and a half, and she went, I think, where pretty much all famous actors and artists go when they're in trouble. She went to India. And, uh, and there, she, she, her interaction with Eastern religion gave her a way to handle bad things. And it wasn't about comparing the good and the bad. It's, about real, it's not about realizing the good outweighs the bad. It's about escaping the bad. It's about realizing that the bad really isn't real. The goal isn't to improve your situation, according to much Eastern religious thought. The goal is to improve your inner self and to remove yourself out from the pain. See, in the, in the West, it's all about getting what you want. You know, the good, the, our favorite things. But in the East, it's about getting away from our wants. Simply not wanting. Learning not to desire. In the West, it's all about mastering your situation, you know, and having more favorite things and fewer bad things. In the East, 
It's about learning to master your inner self. And there's something really enviable about the song. If you listen to the song, there's a sense of just, she is able to give thanks for all of these really difficult things. Listen to some of the words again. Thank you, India. Thank you, providence. Thank you, disillusionment. Thank you, nothingness. There's a sense that she's able to give thanks for hard things because it's in the, the, the pain forced her to, to deal with things in a way that she has, to, she has to recognize there really is pain, but the goal for her, or for much Eastern religion, is to actually escape that pain, to somehow alleviate, to recognize that it's not real, and to, to rise above it. So, again, there's something enviable about Eastern religion, because after all, who wouldn't want to escape? But here's the question, though. What if these bad things aren't merely personal? She mentions, how about me enjoying the moment for once? How about me not blaming you for everything? Those are beautiful things to write above, but what if it's not merely private issues that we're facing? What if what we're facing, what if the bad things in view are public? Like a pandemic. Like systemic injustices, civil unrest, political upheaval. How can we together simply escape these things? See, our text this evening points to a very different way, to a very distinctly Christian way of being thankful. It asks us this question, what if giving thanks, listen to this, what if giving thanks comes not so much from comparing bad with good? What if it's not really about escaping the bad? But what if giving thanks is, a, is found in one who creates good out of the bad? One who takes evil and brings about good. Who takes loss and restores. One who takes disease and overcomes. One who takes conflict and brings intimacy. See, the Christian is one who gives thanks for how grief, hardship, affliction, how difficulties, how the bads, the bad things. A Christian is one who gives thanks for how grief is a guide, can be a guide or guides them to a God who is actually to, is able to create goodness from the grief. So it's not simply a zero-sum game of how you know, do I have good things and bad things, nor is it simply an escaping of the bad things somehow by just rising above them or learning to, an, inner, an inner peace. But rather, it is about actually staring at the grievance, the hard things, the afflictions, doing so, laying them down in the presence of God, looking at the work of Christ, and seeing how out of those good things, out of those hard things, those, those bad things, God is bringing something really good. And we see that very briefly in our text this evening. We see this creative work of God in the, in, the, in the person of Jesus Christ. So we look at the passage here. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. He's traveling along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And if you know anything about Samaria, those who were called Samaritans, they were half-breeds. They were not really Jew. They were not really Gentile. They, they, were, they were really this... this um, we would call it a half-breed. It would be like something that's even more contemptible because it's half-baked. 
It's not Jew, it's not Gentile. It's this, it's this uh, gross sort of, um, it's preceded this gross uh, third thing that's a mix of the two. So Jesus is traveling along this area and he's going to a village, verse 10, and 10 men who had leprosy met him. Understand that leprosy, listen to this kids, leprosy was a skin disease, highly, highly infectious. And once you got it, it was a, it was in a, it was a, basically a, a, a sentence that your life was over. It was over socially immediately. You had to withdraw. You, you lived by yourself. You had to say goodbye to all your friends, all your family. Zip, because you, they, you, they couldn't be around you. Otherwise, they would get it as well. And we don't exactly know quite the nature of the disease that's in view, but most likely it was a highly, um, uh, um, again, highly uh, contagious disease that would slowly, simply rot away your tissue, your ears, your nose, your fingers, and, and, and that was it. So it was, it, was a, it, was a, it was an immediate social death, and it was a long, painful, slow, uh, physical death. And the point was this, that it was completely irreversible. There was nothing that could be done. And so these men, alone of themselves, staying at a distance and calling out to, to Jesus, uh, Jesus, Master, um, I was beautiful words, have pity or have compassion on us. In verse 14, it says, when, when he saw them, that's such a beautiful, beautiful phrase. It seems very simple. It's not just that he, he literally, physically saw them. It's that Jesus sees these persons in their struggle. When you were unclean, when you were a leper, you became invisible to the rest of the society. You were an untouchable. People didn't want to see you. They didn't, they didn't want to like, recognize you. They wanted to pretend like you weren't there. And when grief comes our way, when hardships come our way, when really difficult things happen to us, that's what people do. They pretend like we're not there. I've had so many people tell me, as a minister, I've had so many people tell me about a certain circumstance, a difficulty they were, that they were encountering. Uh, it could be the death of a loved one. It could be a loss of a job. It could be uh, some unexpected illness. And they'll say to me, you know, I, I, the, the actual event itself, the actual, uh, the, 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 the thing that presented itself to me, that was hard enough. But what I wasn't ready for was the way that people around me would just suddenly disappear. Gone. And when you get something like this, it's, it's just it's something like uh, leprosy. You're, you're, again, you're, you're literally a social leper. And here, verse 14, Jesus sees them. They're on his radar. When we are going through struggle, Jesus sees us. He sees us. And he says, Jesus said, he saw them, and he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. Understand that the actual, the actual leprosy itself was, was a cause, was an occasion for cultic impurity. That you could not enter into the temple, into the, into the courts. You could not enter into the presence of God with, 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 with that uh, leprosy. And so what he says to them is an act of faith. He says, go, show yourself to the priest who will examine you to show that you are cleansed. 
And, and rightly so, they, they, they believe him. They, they take his word for it, and they go, and they, uh, they, they go on their way to, to uh, the, the temple. And it says, as they went, they were cleansed. Imagine that you're walking along, you're going on your way to the temple, and suddenly you feel what is truly a, a creative act, a regenerative act. There is actually flesh that is growing back. It's not just healing. It is actually being, uh, it is actually being, it is a, an act of complete renewal of, of, of God restoring and creating new flesh. And that's what I want us to see tonight, that, that real, that, that what God is doing, what he wants to do is not simply say, hey, look, this, this Thanksgiving, be grateful for the good things. Compare the bad, compare the good, and, and sing of your favorite things. That's not what he's saying. Nor is he certainly not saying, hey, do everything you can to dull the pain and escape through food, through some sort of meditation, through some sort of whatever it might be. He's not saying that either. He's saying this, I am able to take the hard things in your life and actually through an act of creation, of new creation, bring about life and goodness and beauty What a thought. And it's amazing here as we see in the story what we have is, is, is one, one of them, verse 15, one of them when he saw he was healed came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. The last person, quote unquote, that they would expect. And in verse 17, Jesus' question, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? He, he has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner. And what we see here is our ten lepers. Again, leprosy was forever. There were nine of them. For them, listen to this, for them this act of creation led only to comparing and escaping. They're like, oh, I'm good now. My life is better, and so the, the good outweighs the bad. Now I'm going to continue doing whatever I want. Or perhaps there's an escape in the sense, oh my goodness, I don't have to do that anymore. I can go back to my old life. I can go back to my old ways. But for one of them, this act of creation led to a connection. He recognized the, 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 he recognized the gift. He recognized that what this does, listen to this, this is so important. Jesus, so what's the thing he says to them? He says, go to the temple. What's the most important thing they need? They need to go back to the temple. They need to, to be in the presence of God. They need to have their relationship with God restored. It is that connection that is the most important thing. That's, and that's the whole purpose, that God is here in the person of Jesus Christ. He's here creating good out of evil so that we might be reconciled to God. And that's what's so beautiful. That's why, I, that's why I love what I do. In ministry, I get to have a front row seat with people who are going through some of the most, the most difficult, the hardest experiences they've ever had, overwhelmed by the bad things in life. And I get to see God go to work creating, bringing good out of evil, life out of death, in some of the most unexpected and beautiful remarkable ways. And it's when you see that happen, when you see God 
using the griefs, the difficult things, the afflictions in life, when you see him you do, using those things, taking those things, and bringing life and blessing and beauty out of them, boy, that's called thanksgiving. I mean, you are overwhelmed with thanksgiving, with joy, a sense of, I can't believe that he could take this and bring that out of it. That's amazing. One of the ways I've seen that again and again in my marriage you ready for this? It's very simple. It's not rocket science. It's not, you know, some sort of miracle, weird thing. It's through the act of confession. There have been times where I've done things or said things, and I thought, nothing good is going to come from me owning this with her. If I, if I admit that to her, things will just get worse. She'll just think less of me. And I have never, I have never ceased to be amazed. You'd think I would learn, and I don't. Like, oh yeah, I got this. Actually, something good will come from this this time. No. Uh, yeah, the last 30 times something good came from confessing sin to her, but not this time. And yet it's amazing how, yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult. Sin is, is, is sin hurts relationships. That's why God says don't do it. But when you see the power of confession, to bring greater intimacy, to bring greater, greater um, closeness, greater conversation, greater compassion. It's truly an amazing thing. Let me just finish with this. You say, okay, that's, that's at the personal level, but what about at the, the public level? What about it in the face of, think about 2020, think about the pandemic, think about, think about uh, all of the political polarization that we have. Think of the civil unrest that we've had. Listen, God, as, as, you, as we've been talking about in our study in Revelation on Sunday nights, God is using these hard times to make us ask one of the most important questions that we can ask. I alluded to it this past Sunday morning. You ready? It's just three simple words. Is this it? I mean, do you realize how your 401k can be gone like that? Do you realize how your health can be taken to you like that? Is this it? I mean, is this as good as it gets? That is one of the most important questions we can ask. If we, we Americans are so good at building really, really high-tech, highly advanced sandcastles, Just in a moment's notice, God takes a wave and just, just sweep it all away. It's gone. It's gone forever. There's no second chance. This is one life that we live. And we Americans, with all our technology, with all our medicine, again, our, and again I'm, hey, I, I hope that, yeah, we've got, it looks like, wow, three vaccines. Amazing. But that is not going to get us out of the valley of the shadow of death. Okay? All medicine does is prolong our journey in this veil of tears. Death always wins. And we are alone. We are more alone than we've ever been. And we had, we had an epidemic of loneliness long before 2020 came along. And we are more alone than ever. You know, I was listening to a lecture. I'll close with this. I was listening to a lecture by Alan Jacobs. And he was talking about 
World War I. And he, he, uh, he says, he says basically, he said, he said you know, he contends, I, he says, I think it's pretty much impossible to overstate how catastrophic the experience of what was called, originally called the Great War, uh, how catastrophic that was for Europeans. I mean, it's important to realize that, it, you know, when 19, by the time 1914 rolled around, Europe had basically experienced um, pretty much a century of peace. I mean, there had been like very small scale, very short-term wars. There had been the like, like Crimea in the 1850s, localized. There had been the very quick battle with the, the Franco-Prussian War in the 1870, right? The Prussians overwhelmed the French in, you know, in, in under six months, I think. Um, but, but the idea of protracted, prolonged, violent bloodletting was something that Europe had not known since the Napoleonic era. Think about that. And through the entire 19th century, there had been built up this great belief, listen to this, this great belief in the inevitability of moral as well as technological progress. We really are good, amazing European people. And look at our amazing technology. And the 19th century was the great age of the development of the idea of progress, of inevitable progression. And it's, it's amazing to see this idea of progress. It gets mixed up with this idea of evolution. You have Darwin come along, and we're like, yeah, that's what we are. Look at us. We're these highly advanced monkeys, and we're going to continue to go more and more. We're going to get better and better and better. And then the Great War came at a time when Europeans had largely come to congratulate themselves on having grown out of violence, of having grown out of warfare. And only those, you know, those barbaric Americans over there slaughtering one another in the Civil War. I mean, that's what, that's what Americans do. And they, they were, the Americans were still in that relatively primitive state, which the Europe had outgrown. And so the Great War, I mean, even, even though if you were a keen observer at the time, you could see this coming probably about, about 10 years out. It took the overwhelming majority of Europeans by a devastating shock and surprise. And then, of course, it turned out, um, you know, through various accidents of military, you know, that, that technology that they were so proud of, what happened? It was then used for warfare. And so what happened was the bloodiest war in human history by a long shot. And it was horrific beyond imagining. And it took, and it, listen to this, it took away a considerable part of an entire generation. If you look at, for example, authors, English authors, you have all these author, authors of the 1850s, 1860s, 1870s, 1880s, and it comes into this point that suddenly you have this generation that's almost missing because of so many of them died in the Great War, with two exceptions, two that I'm sure that are household names. Who are they? C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, both of whom saw the horror of war. And here's what I want you to hear. So many of the few who did who did survive that, most of them couldn't write anymore. The sense of disillusionment, the sense of all that we have built as a European civilization was all a lie. This is what we are capable of. This is, these, are, these are the sandcastles that have been completely wiped 
away. The sense of destabilization, the sense that, you know, we're not remotely as advanced, we're not remotely as noble, we're not remotely the people that we think we are. And this world is a world that is, again, nothing but sandcastles. And that, listen to me, that is one of the greatest, if most painful, gifts that we can have. The recognition that this world is incredibly passing. That nothing is for sure. That all of these things that we do, as good as they are, they will not last. And the question is, where is my hope to be found? Because when it comes to the end of the day, I may compare the good with the bad, and the bad will actually be greater. And there may be no reason or little reason to give thanks tomorrow. Or I may say, look, I'm going to do everything I can to escape, to try to escape all the bad things in my life. And you're not going to be able to do it. They're going to be there. Be you, Friday morning, you'll wake up. They're still going to be there after all, the, after all the turkey and all the pie. It's all going to still be there. The only way to a true and lasting thanksgiving is to, return, is to experience a God, to know a God who can take, who can create good out of evil. And to not simply know, to not simply to know of that God, but to want to be connected and to, to turn back and to actually fall at his feet and to rejoice in him and to want to live our lives following him, knowing that he has overcome whatever disease, whatever struggle, whatever political division, all of that is there. He has overcome it. He is Lord over all of it. Jesus doesn't really care about Joe Biden. He doesn't care about Donald Trump. He's not impressed by either one. Rulers come and rulers go, but they mostly just go. Okay? And he reigns at the right hand of the Father. And all we got to do is bow our knee again. And we will share a new heavens and a new earth with him. Listen. The hardships that you may be facing, whether it's as you're overwhelmed, anxious about our times, fearful of COVID, or whether it's personal issues in your own life, don't hesitate to come. I'll pray with you. I'll weep with you. But let me help you see how God can bring good out of the evil that you are enduring right now. The anxiety, the fear, the loneliness. Don't go at it alone. It's only in community, it's only in counseling that we come to discover that there really is a God who really does care and who really is able to bring this thing into our life that we absolutely do not want there. The grief, the hardship, the pain, the affliction that's there, it is precisely in that. That's the place where he wants to meet you. That's the place where he wants to show himself to you. It is precisely, he wants to take you to a place where you can say, oh my goodness, what a God who I want to give thanks to him because he has brought such good out of this very thing. And as much as I hate this thing, I'm amazed that he could use this. He can use even this for good in my life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you such thanks that you are bigger than these things. Father, we don't. Somehow, sometimes we don't know. We can't see, Lord, and yet we believe. We wait. And Father, I pray that we would be a church family, even amidst of this pandemic and the 
the, the very important uh, protocols that we have to follow, Father, for, this, for our own safety and the safety of others. Father, I pray that we would be a church family, that we would walk together on, on the phone, walk together by Zoom, that in the, in the appropriate places, walking together in homes, walking together outside, but Father, committed to one another, carrying one another's burdens, praying for one another, reminding each other, encouraging each other, affirming one another, advocating for one another. Father, digging into the Scriptures. Father, viewing life not as CNN sees it, not as Fox News sees it, but Father, as you see it. Help us to see our times Help us to see others. Help us to see ourselves as you see, see all those things. Father, we thank you for the hardships in our lives. We thank you for the things in our lives that we really don't like. The things that have shown us, that have, that have wiped, that have completely wiped away our own sandcastles. Father, we want to stand on you. We want to stand on the rock of your son, Jesus Christ. The only, sure, the only sure footing in a very uncertain time. Father, hear these prayers. We pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.